Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 166 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And, you know, I'm always interested in talking to leaders who have gone into places that, quite frankly, the church never goes. I mean, I'm fascinated by innovation in the marketplace and in industry, and I love seeing people do new things, but also people do different things in the church. And so my guest today is Chris Durso. And um, not only did he just release a brand new book, but he's been working for a number of years in New York City, having some significant impact with young adults. And I talked to him about that. I mean, New York is a tough code to crack, particularly New York City. And uh, not only that, but he uh, also happens to have a relationship with uh, some of the people in the tribe that have been helping out Justin Bieber these days and has met with Justin and the whole deal. So I even get to talk to him about that because, you know, my background in law before I went into ministry was like, who who's going to reach these people? So I've always had a heart for... Um, people who kind of have everything, but on the inside, they're just kind of empty. And the church is historically really, really great at ministering to the broken and the lost, and we need to keep doing that. But like, who's going to minister to the broken and the lost who seem to have everything? That's sort of really close to my heart. And that's why one of the reasons I love this conversation with Chris Durso today, I mean, anybody who can reach people in New York City, hats off. And then even get into the entertainment community, that is so important and uh, Chris has done a great job. So we talk about that and much more. And I want you to think about, you know, in the city that you're in or the industry that you're in, because we have a ton of marketplace leaders in the, you know, often, you know, 30, 40, 50, sometimes 70,000 people will listen to one of these episodes. I mean, just think about the impact uh, that that kind of work in the world can have. That's why I love doing what we're doing and having these kinds of conversations. Hey, I don't know what you're doing in February, but I would love for you to hang out with me. If you haven't yet reserved uh, for the Pipeline Conference, why don't you do it today? Uh, we are meeting on February 22nd. It's Tom Rayner, myself, and many others. And we are going to talk all about developing a leadership pipeline, which honestly is like a top concern for a lot of leaders. You can visit myleadershippipeline.com. And if you go, you can still get some early bird rates, but you will get 10% off of those rates if you use the code lead like never before at checkout. So come see us, Pipeline West Conference. It is amazing. I've spoken at Pipeline East in 2016. Can't wait for this one, February 22nd. Um, in beautiful Orange County, California, lead like never before on checkout gets you 10% off even their current best rates at my leadership pipeline. Dot com. So come hang out with us in February. And also, you know, one more thing I just want to say, uh, I just love this tribe. You guys have been so encouraging. It has been travel season for me. Got a few more trips left to go to Silicon Valley to speak there. And uh, let's see, I'm going to Charlotte later today. And then uh, oh, Orlando and a few other places too. So uh, I just want to say thanks for all the encouragement. I mean, your stories mean so, so much. And um, as you know, uh, a couple months ago, I released the Breaking 200 course, and I want to let you in on a little surprise that just like makes me so happy. Um, probably the best thing in my view to come out of that course is, is you know, not, you know, I enjoy doing the content and I hope it's going to be extremely helpful. We have 
well, 450 leaders in the course right now, which is incredible. That's like churches. Um, but we set up a private Facebook group that we've decided to leave open and to see leaders engage with each other from all over the world. I remember when I was trying to break like, you know, the 100 growth barrier, then 200, then 500, then 800, then 1,000. I kind of felt like, you know, earlier, especially, I was doing that alone. And it's like I had to figure it all out myself. And when I produced the material for Breaking 200, I thought, okay, this is going to take six months for a year to church for churches to go through it. People are crushing it, like just crushing it. Like in a month, they're getting through most of the course. And then they're coming into the forum. They're asking each other questions. They're supporting each other. I get to jump in there from time to time. It's just great. And so I just want you to know that Facebook group is still open. If you get the Breaking 200 Without Breaking You course, uh, you will still get that Facebook group. We decided to leave it open because it's so amazing. So make sure you drop by Breaking 200 Without Breaking You. And whether your church is, you know, you got new people coming and you're trying to break the 50 barrier, the 100 barrier, 200, even we're learning four or 500, the course can help. And you can find out more at Breaking 200 Without Breaking You. Well, talk about breaking into cities. <laughs> Let's get into this conversation with Chris Durso. And uh, we're going to talk about some great things. If you need anything in the show notes, you'll find them at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 166. Here's my conversation with Chris. Chris, it is so great to have you on the podcast. You and I met on a mission trip with Compassion. Yeah. And that turned out to be a pretty star-studded trip, didn't it? It was pretty cool. You were there with your buddies. And you were on it. And we well, were no, Brad no, no. Lominick. Brad Lominick and Rich <laughs> was, Wilkerson. And Robert Madu. Yeah, Rich. Some of the other great leaders were there. Joseph Barkley, Brian Orm, and yep. us. And uh, I just remember a lot of laughter on that trip. Do you? I remember only laughter, sadly. And I, I wish we would have got more work done. No, nah, but it was <laughs> it was great. <laughs> we, had a, we had a really, really good time. Plus, we did some absolutely meaningful work in the villages with people. But uh, that was that was where we first met you and I, and it was it was really fun. All the rationalists uh, laughed a lot. Let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah, Chris, you've got um, a real privilege where for a number of years now you're in a senior associate role at your church, but you're you're right in one of the five boroughs of New York City. You're in Queens and in Brooklyn, correct? true New Yorker, yep. and you, you've worked for over a decade with young adults. Um, a lot of people would say no matter where you are, let alone New York City, that is a tough demographic to work with. Uh, talk to yeah. us about that. How, how have you found it? What's it like to actually have a young adult ministry in New York City? And uh, you got a lot of church leaders listening right now just curious about, gosh, if that was my assignment, I have no idea how I'd do it. Yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely about the grace of God, and we definitely had... Um, a whole lot of tough moments. I mean, probably more tough moments than we did success. Uh, but we did see great success, man. I'm, I'm really proud of my team and, and privileged to be able to do what we did, where we did it, and see God show up the way that he did. I mean, I think when it comes to young adults, um, it's 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 this honesty factor. What, what they really want is community. What, what they really want is relationship, especially in a world today where you could podcast anyone, you could live stream into any service. They are just looking for accountability and discipleship. Those are two of the major factors. You know, it's funny, like I'm born and raised Queens, New York, and yeah. I grew up in our church without knowing that there are other churches that existed. So, so often people ask me, like, how did you guys grow ministry within New York? I, I didn't know any better, to be honest with you. I wish I could say I had some uh, some plan. I just, I just knew that I was in a position to 
to reach the next generation. And I mean, we, we stepped out and we, we tried some things like, again, they, they failed, which I think you're always going to fail on your road to doing anything right for God. Um, but the truth is we, we kept getting back up and we kept going and when doors were closed, we just would find other routes uh, because there, there were a lot of times we tried a lot of crazy things. Like at one point uh, we were doing our young adult service at 11 PM on a Friday night. And it was it would go until 1 a.m. and that that thing was rocking. I mean, we had young adults coming out from everywhere, except when I looked at my team and I was like, our team is dead tired. We were doing a Saturday night service at the time, an 8 p.m. service before the young adult service, and then you know five services on a Sunday. So uh, the longevity factor just didn't really work for us there. But so it worked for the young adults, <laughs> but not for your team. It worked for the young adults attending. And what, what we realized is that those young adults were from other churches, um, which was cool because we had hundreds of young adults in the room, but they weren't, they weren't ours. And we just weren't really interested in you know, having people just come and visit. We, we wanted, again, relationship, community is a big thing. So take us through some of that decade. And I know you're a couple of years removed from it now, working in yep. more adult world. Sure. But, um, you know, most churches are not doing a very good job of reaching young adults. So like even to the point where we can't get a dozen in the room. Um, talk to us about what didn't work and then tell us about what the, the connection points were, like drill down on that. So what were some things you tried that you're like, yeah, that didn't work? Oh, man, I, I think I at one point in the very beginning, I tried to take out the the spiritual component. I tried to just make it so easy for people to show up that I removed a lot of factors. Like um, when I inherited this youth and adult ministry, every leader would pray and fast every Friday. And I was like, well, we don't need to pray and fast every Friday. That sounds like too exaggerated to me. Mm-hmm. Um, we would also do a Friday leaders gathering from seven to eight o'clock, right before open the doors or seven to seven fifty, And, and then I was like, you know, we don't have to do that as well. We don't need to meet with our leaders. And we don't need to pray with them. So we're just going to open up the door so that people could play games and, you know, have some community time before the service. Um, and that just really failed. And I remember having this God moment <laughs> where God just said to me, he reminded me of the story of Saul and how Saul failed because he allowed himself to get in the way. And I just said to God, like, I don't want to be a Saul. I, I want to take the position that you've given me, but I want to. I want to lead through it and navigate through it the way that you want me to. I, I don't want myself to get the best of me. Hmm. And the moment I made that change from like one day to the next, literally the previous Friday, we were at like a dwindling 100 to that very next Friday at 500. And then from there, it just blew up because then what we saw is uh, we had about um, man 800 coming out for youth, 500 coming out for young adult. And then we would average around 5,000 viewing on live stream. Um, but what we did was we kept passion and we kept purpose at the forefront of it. So that the messaging was, man, we're going to reach our city. We're going to see lives saved and young adults gravitate towards that. They're, they are revivalists. They want to see, they, they want to see a movement happen. And the moment we made way for that to happen and for people to operate, uh, in their purpose and their giftings, um, man, it just, it really just snowballed. Isn't that interesting? So your heart changed, and I think every leader has been there. I mean, none of us have pure motives, right? Not 100% pure. And so I think we've all been down that road where we felt like God's saying, okay, there's a little too much you, you need to back off, like less of you is more, right? Right. So so you back off, 
Did you make any other changes or that was it? It was just, it was a heart change for you and uh, boom. It, it was definitely a heart change. I definitely went back and I told our team we were going to pray and fast every Friday, which I do not recommend, by the way, for other churches and ministries to do. However, that was one thing that God wanted us to keep on doing. So, we so you reinstated have- the prayer and the fasting? Yeah, the prayer and the fasting, and we reinstated the leaders gathering before the service. Uh, and then one of the big things we added was tribe, which is community. Or So we called it tribes for high schoolers and junior hires, and then we called it groups for young adults, just because you know young adults don't really want to sit at the kiddie table. Yeah. Uh, essentially, it's the same thing. You just change the vernacular, dress it up a little bit differently. Um, and man, it really worked as well. But then the one thing we would also do with the young adults is we would we would encourage them, beg them uh, to come and be youth leaders. And again, just giving them purpose. Like, hey, you're a young adult. You're going to come. You're going you're gonna to receive. You're going to benefit from the meetings that are for you. But don't just become someone that receives. Be a contributor. Give back. But what do you wish you could have said to your teenage self? Well, now's your opportunity. So we would constantly be pushing them back to serve uh, in the youth ministry, which was phenomenal because they became their mentors. So what went first, the youth ministry service or the adult service? Or how did that, not that you can just say, oh, I'm going to copy this and it'll work in our church, but I'm just curious as to how you structured it. Yeah, so what happened was that there were church structures <laughs> or youth ministry structures uh, back then. So we were just doing Friday nights and we would say youth and then whoever showed up, showed up. And then what we realized is we have a whole lot of high schoolers and a whole lot of young adults in the room at the same time. And what happened naturally, because they're now in the same services, serving in the same ministries, uh, there were some good things and there were some things that were red flags for us. So we said, you know, we got to bring some separation. And when you have 14 um, and 25 year olds in the same room, that's kind of weird. That, yeah, it, it, It's kind of weird. And especially when, you know, the 25 year olds thinking, hey, the is pretty and that could be my wife. It's like, I don't even want that uh, to be a part of the conversation, uh, which was just, again, I mean. But we were able to catch it from the onset, so there was never any issues, but it was right. just it was something that we just man we first started coming down the pipe. Yeah. So um was the student ministry, the youth ministry first and then the young adults, or how how would you do that? It was the, it was high school Friday. Um and then we, we took the junior hires out and we put them on Sundays uh during our second service, which were six services on a Sunday. Uh so we did during our second service then. Um, and then we decided we need to create this other space for young adults, uh, which then happened. So youth was at 8 p.m. and then young adult was at 11 p.m. So youth service would go two hours and then we would allow an hour gap. But the first. Yeah, we would allow that hour gap, which from 10 to 11, we would have a DJ. Again, it would be community, either play movies on the screens, but really just more of a social atmosphere um, for, you know, those young adults to get together, hang out. And then we'd start service and. Yeah, I mean, we'd worship and we'd preach. We'd go through full-on series. Oh, cool. So it was it was really just like church, but it was, you had DJs, you had movies. What are some other, like, just stylistic things that you did or you still do with young adults? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we're, we're in New York, right? And yeah. uh, first off, Queens is noted by National Geographic, the most diverse place on the face of the planet. Most nationalities spoken amongst living amongst one another, most languages spoken amongst one another. So we really embrace that one. Uh, but then two, we really embrace culture, um, whether it be fashion, genres, um, and really allow them to play a part within our ministry. However, without ever compromising the gospel, but just holding on to the arts and whether it was style of dress or language and just 
really making sure that we're not trying to act like we live in a silo because you live in New York City or really anywhere you live in the world. Your, your church is not your only world. You have other parts of your life, whether it be education, whether it be your job, going to the super where it's not church. So we really wanted to make sure that we spoke a language that you could speak outside of church and still be understood. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So you brought DJs in. What were some other like pieces of the cultural currency that, and again, it's going to be different if you're in Montana. It's going to be different if, if you're in you know, Saskatchewan or Texas. It's going to be different. Uh, but in New York City, just, just walk us through some of those decisions and how they seem to connect both with kids who went to church, but also bringing their friends who never went to church. Yeah, I mean, hip hop played a major role. Um, where yeah. we, yeah, I mean, kids that were into hip hop wanted to rap, or we spoken word or R and B. We would allow them. We we would figure out different ways um, where it wouldn't supplement the worship. We had worship, um, but then we had moments where we would do a special, either before a sermon. We would do open mic nights. Uh, we would have other ways where they would have this outlet because we never wanted to make them feel like they couldn't express themselves creatively in church. If anything. That should be the place where you could use, you know, these God-given gifts for God. Uh, so we we embraced it, and we were good with that. I mean, I obviously didn't rap it. You know, thought about it a time or two, um, <laughs> but we, we gave them the platform to do it for sure. Wow, and and they responded to that that kind of diverse, open. Um, how did you embrace multiculturalism? I mean, if you have different languages, you would have totally different styles. Did you just adopt like? the you know, sort of I think that, yeah that goes back to what like, i was saying before for us it just happened organically like you know on your leadership team alone would just be a rainbow of black white brown yellow purple blue. i mean mm. it's just all these different people from all these different backgrounds serving together and you know for the most part in new york that's how you grow up like you know i was it was very rare that i was in a, I was never in a classroom, actually, whether it was elementary school, nursery school, college, high school, where it was just all white or all black or all Latino. It was always a melting pot. There was always a mix. So we don't have to really try really hard. We just accept what it is and, and go with that. Um, but again, I think as far as uh, the relevance goes, I mean, we're essentially we're trying to talk about the same things that all churches want to talk about and communicate with their youth or their young adults. And when you're thinking about young adults, you're thinking about purity. You're thinking about, they're thinking about their future. They're thinking about marriage. So what are different ways to approach those same topics? I mean, I remember um, a good buddy of mine who, who was actually running young adults for me. His name is Ralph Castillo. He, he's still on our, on our team today. Um, but he did a series on the Book of Ruth. And man, he, he did that series three different times within three years because it was so it was so requested. People wanted it. And again, it spoke to relationships, but people were, were so thirsty. So we just would keep doing it and had no problem repeating it. Or I remember one time uh, my wife and I did this, did this sermon together titled the 10 Bay Commandments. Uh, and is a, you know, someone that you would refer to as a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And we just basically took 10 things that, you know, you should worry about in your singleness or in a relationship and again, I mean, it's essentially saying the same things that we would preach on a Sunday, but using a language that they would receive it in and understand it. Yeah. And, you know, that's one thing. You're in that circle with Rich and Carl Lentz and some of the Hillsong crowd as well, who, yeah. uh, you know, unlike someone like me, do cool extremely well. I mean, if you, if you guys are great followers on Instagram. You are the coolest. 
Oh, I don't know about that. But like you guys, you guys actually get street, the whole deal. How is that? And, and again, if you try to fake it, like, you know, people would immediately smell from a thousand miles away that that's not my vibe. But, you know, you hang out with you guys and it's definitely clear that's part of who you are. I think a lot of people feel like, hey, they would have to park who they are, that sense of street, that sense of fashion, that sense of, um, you know, all of that in order to preach the gospel. You guys didn't do it. Can you talk about that a little bit, how you use that to reach the culture? I think it's our age and we all grew up in church. And we all got to watch it for a really long time. So, I mean, that, that really works to our advantage. But hmm. I think one of the things when I think of ministry in general, especially in New York, is I think about real recognized room. I mean, that's something I would always say to our team. People are attracted to honesty. People yeah. want authenticity. So the, the truth is, I would never want anyone to park anything about them. I mean, if they do street, then man, be street. If they do education, please do education or whatever the inverse of any of those things are. I mean, just embrace it and run with it because I think we're all very aware that that the gospel is available to all people. So that means all people are needed. Um, and, you know, I, I think we're seeing a day where leaders are more comfortable in their own skin and they're not trying to dress up or play a certain part. And really, I mean, I think I hope that that's the overall message where trying to communicate, not that you have to wear a certain uniform or talk a, talk, a certain talk, but honestly, as cheesy as it could sound, be who you are and embracing that. You know, Romans 12 says embracing who it is that you are is the best thing that you could do for God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is true to that. That's the message translation. I, I think embracing who I am, uh, not only as a, a as a human, but as a man, as someone that grew up in New York City, is exactly what God wants to use for the advancement of his kingdom. Um, I I believe I was placed here specifically by God. So why wouldn't he want me to be New York? Why would he want me to change being New York? Um, I think I'm able to reach New York because I'm from New York. I'm not sure that me doing what I do here would work, let's say, in certain parts of Canada or other parts of America. But it's just being comfortable where where you know you're supposed to be planted. One of the things that's happened with you and, and some of your friends like Rich or Carl Lentz from Hillsong or Rich from Voo Church is, you know, it's opened some doors or God has opened some doors. And anybody who follows on socials knows that you guys have spent some time with even the likes of Justin Bieber, um, who's, you know, canceled his world tour and is hanging out with pastors. I think, uh, who wrote that? That, that was a big write-up. Was it GQ? Uh, they did a big write-up on that, and some other magazines yeah. have as well. Um, why do you think that's happening, and and how do you how did it happen that you kind of accessed relationships like that? I, I think it, I think it's doublefold. One, I think there have been a lot of prayers prayed since before our time uh, that we would reach the secular world. So I think a lot of mm. what's happening is to prayers. Uh, so in the seventies or eighties and nineties, when the church were praying God. Can we have influence in Hollywood or can we can we reach a certain demographic? I think what we're actually seeing are those prayers answered. Maybe it didn't happen in someone's lifetime. Yeah. Maybe it didn't happen for them. But what we are seeing is an answer to prayer. And then I think, too, I think it's the, the willingness to be honest and, again, being who you are around anybody. I want, I want to be who I am, whether I'm preaching to my congregation or whether I am walking in a room where there are certain celebrities hanging out. Um, 
unapologetically, unashamed of the gospel, not making it, not making anyone feel bad about themselves, but just being very honest about who I am. I think that's what works. Again, I think people are attracted to authenticity. I think they are attracted. They are attracted to real. So if you're honest, man, that's the best. That's the best tool you have. I read those stories. I watch that happening, and honestly, I'm I'm filled with gratitude. It's like thank goodness there's somebody that can talk to Justin Bieber and. Thank goodness that there are people who can talk to to others that honestly, most of us, they would have a hard time identifying with a lot of us. But if there are uh, some that they can instantly identify with, that's that's really, really cool. Any other thoughts yeah. on that? Like, you know, not that we're all going to try to reach celebrity cultures, but there are listeners in Los Angeles, in New York City and in culture spots around the world who have influential people around the corner. And this could be in the business world as well, right? I think the church has bridged the business world maybe a little bit better than the entertainment world. Yeah, I, I would just encourage uh, whoever is listening uh, to just redefine what you think of your sphere of influence. You know, your sphere of influence can be anyone that God gives you access to. And mm-hmm. if, if you work in a hospital and there are people working alongside of you but don't know Jesus— you should take that opportunity to, to share Jesus with them. I wouldn't go home and say, God, I pray you get that person saved without taking a moment to minister to them. I believe the reason why you're in that person's life is so that you can minister to them. Here's what I know about um, you know, any of the guys we described, like Carl Rich. None of them went knocking on any of those doors. Those doors just so happened to open up. And what they did was walk through them. Um, and that's what I'd encourage anyone to do. I wouldn't encourage anyone to try to go looking for it because – Anyone that's been in a green room or in any room could always spot the guy that's looking. And no one ever wants to be that guy. I would say be the guy that's comfortable enough in in your own skin and embrace what it is that God has for you and be excited about it and and celebrate the wins um, that aren't necessarily happening for you, but happening for the kingdom. Um, Because the fact of the matter is we all have a sphere of influence and I just want to be able to, to use it. Uh, the best possible way for the glory of God. So we've addressed this before on the podcast, but I want to get your take on it. So let's go into that nursing station at a hospital, which is a way more common than the green room of a, you know, multimillion dollar show. Um, And there's another nurse and you're like, okay, this is who I'm called to reach. How do you strike up conversations with everyday people. How do you do that? How, how, how have you found that works in your life? It's funny. I, I, I don't think it's necessarily what you say, but how you say it. Hmm. I think kindness matters. And I think kindness really pops out and stands out to people. When people start realizing like, man, you don't talk like everyone else. Or when everyone's around the, the water cooler gossiping about the boss and you're the one not gossiping, or when everyone's complaining about how hard the day is, but you're the one, uh, to give just a moment of encouragement and point to, to the good of the day. I think that's what what shifts people in their perception or thinking of, of you. And they say, man, you're different. And that then there gives you the opportunity to share why you're different. And it's not that you don't feel frustrated or annoyed with certain boy, bosses or colleagues. It's that you have made a choice uh, to filter your life through the lens of the gospel. And as a result of that, that changes everything. I think that's that's the best way to evangelize. I think there are some people that may be called to preach on the subway and man, it works. I mean, there, there's one of our young adults 
who would go out and preach on the subway and he would tell me about it. And I would be like, man, I don't know if that's the best approach. Yeah. And then one day it pops up on my Facebook feed that here's this kid, Mark, who's preaching on the gospel and he's preaching the grace of God. And it got 10 million views within 24 hours. And seriously. people were commenting, seriously, they were commenting on how much they loved it and how amazing this was. And I thought to myself, huh, I thank God I never discouraged him from doing it. Obviously, it's reaching people, even if it was just that one moment. Um, however, that's that's not typically the case. I think it's not taking a microphone or a bullhorn and going to preach somewhere. I think your life needs to be that. I think you have to be comfortable enough with being kind and loving people, regardless of their circumstance, regardless of their background, regardless of their current beliefs, because there's no belief too great, whether it's atheism or another religion that should deter you from sharing the gospel because the gospel is for everyone. So even if they're not treating you kindly, I think the best response is kindness. When I was in law, um, think about a guy who was a year ahead of me and um, got out of law school, graduated a year in advance. And I watched him really carefully. And he had a similar experience to what you describe where, uh, you know, he just decided he's not going to play the I'm a slave game in downtown Toronto. He went home to his family at five o'clock. He gave the firm a really, you know, good first year. But he found just because his values were so different, his, his, his whole approach was different. You know, within a period of months, people who were burned out, tired, frustrated in their marriage are banging on his door going, hey, do you have a minute? And right. they were asking him a question, but why do you go home? It's like, well, I have a wife I love and kids I care about. And, you know, that was different. I mean, literally firms in Toronto would hire professional chefs so that you never had to leave and could eat in the firm and they had cots. I mean, ours didn't, but lots of firms did. And well, yeah. that way you never had to go home. And he just lived an alternative lifestyle and it was attractive to the people around him. So I think that's a really good word. And, and yet God uses something like subway preaching, which I wouldn't predict either for the record, Chris. Right. But I think, I think it's what you just said. I think it's that term right there, you know, an alternative lifestyle. I think that's what we're always offering. You know, it's, it's easy to get upset. It's easy to complain. It's easy to murmur. I'm just I'm not saying I don't feel like that. I'm just making the choice to live an alternative lifestyle. So I'm not saying I'm not going to the Christmas party. I'm just saying at the Christmas party, I'm not going to leave there plastered. I'm not going to yeah. leave there drunk on my face. And everyone's going to say, man, why don't you? Again, those are all great opportunities to, to share why. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good thought. One of the trends I've been watching, Chris, and I want to ask you about is I find in a lot of churches led by younger leaders like yourself, the churches that are growing, there's a charismatic bent to what they're doing, whether that's in style or whether that's in theology. I mean, an emphasis on prayer, an emphasis on spirit, you know, hands raised, um, music is energetic. I would say even when it comes to what you talk about, as much preaching as there is teaching, you know, if, if, if you understand that distinction, it's maybe yeah. it's my Presbyterian background, but, you know, preaching tends to be uh, fewer points, a little more room, a little more in your face. Teaching tends to be, oh, here are five things that boom, 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 boom. I'm way more naturally a teacher. Um, although, you know, I just finished a series where I, th I said to our team, this is a preaching series, okay? Going to hear less content from me. I'm still going to fill 35, 40 minutes, but less content, going to leave more space for God. And like people came to faith, people left crying, not hopefully because it was bad, but because they heard from God, you know? And, yeah. and there was just a disproportion. It's just things I'm noticing. 
Number one, do you see the same trend? And number two, as a more charismatic church, what are you discovering yeah. about connection points with younger adults? Yeah, again, I mean, I think that that this generation, the previous generation, uh, people are attracted to passion. Mm-hmm. And I think you could preach passionately. I also think you could teach passionately, um, which is why, you know, teachers will see success as, as long as you actually believe what it is uh, that you're that you're preaching. Yeah. I actually heard, uh, you know, one preacher say, man, you better... You, you better make sure that you're um, you're smoking what you're selling. Uh, it's this idea that I, I totally I, I totally believe what it is that I'm saying. And when I when I believe what it is that I'm presenting to you, I'm going to be a little bit more emphatic about, as opposed to just presenting, you know, a few good ideas. But I, I totally get it. I, I just think that the pendulum has 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 shifted back. I mean, there was a time where it wasn't as charismatic or it wasn't as as passionate in a service it was a little bit more whether it be seeker sensitive or it was a different approach and i think that approach worked as well i just mm-hmm. think like friends the moment something becomes absent it becomes missed and the moment it becomes missed it's it's needed again and i just think that happens and to be honest i'm, I'm actually good with all of it as long as the core of the message which is the gospel stays the same um so styles come and go i'm good with it so, I mean, when you get into a culture where there's a strong emphasis on prayer, where hands are raised, where, um, you know, the supernatural is, and I'm not talking about really crazy stuff, but just, you know, it's a little more experiential, a little less didactic. What is, how do unchurched people interact with that, particularly in a context like New York City, where you wouldn't see a lot of that normally? I, I think, again, it, it's the language. I think people are good with everything you just said as long as they can understand it. So, you know, for us, our Sundays, um, we're going to tend to be a little bit more concerned of the non-believer right. that's in the room. I mean, we just got, um, I was just looking at numbers yesterday. You know, so far this year, we've had 2,800 first-time visitors in yeah. our church. And so if I had 2,800 first-time visitors then my question is, did they stick? And if they didn't stick, and I know there's a whole lot of methodology and understanding mm-hmm. as to why and who those visitors actually are, because first-time visitors don't actually mean non-believers. However, I, I, I think of the language that we're using. If they're stepping into a church for the first time, and that's their time to encounter Jesus, what am I doing as that middleman to help navigate them through that service? So I could say terms like the heavens, um, are opened up and the rain is pouring down, or mm-hmm. I could say, and I could really sense God's presence, and the two mean the same thing. I just said in a way that someone that's not a church can understand it. So I, I think that's pretty important. I think it's it's thinking through what you're going to say and how you communicate it, which you know you're a communicator, and I think more people uh, should be really concerned about how they communicate uh, because everything communicates. Um, but the worst thing is when someone walks into your church. And they leave there confused or they leave there uh, frustrated because they just can't understand. I mean, this happens to me anytime I travel overseas and I try to watch uh, one of their sports games, you know, something we're not used to in America. And I'm completely frustrated because I'm watching the same game that now a friend of mine who's a native there is watching and they're cheering and they're hurrahing. But I have no idea what's going on because I don't know what any of that stuff means. And so often this is what happens in church. We don't. We don't explain it. We don't take a moment out to 
to, to show them what's actually happening. Getting them in the room isn't enough. It's making sure that they, they can understand it. So you're very sensitive to that, even though yours would be a more, um, you know, a more transcendent experience. You, we don't, we don't shy away from lifting up our hands. We'll say things like, Hey, if you're comfortable, lift up your hands. If not, no pressure. Um, we say the same thing about tithing and offering. Um, and you know, in our preaching, we'll, we'll preach. I'm a, I'm a preacher for sure. Um, but I also love teaching. Um, and then we have our Wednesday night prayer meeting, which we've done and we'll never stop doing which is probably going to be a little bit more different. I mean, that's going to be the, the moment where we are praying for healing and we are believing for a miracle. When I say a miracle, you know, the, the husband that left the house and said that was never coming back, I'm praying that he walks back home. Mm-hmm. Or the, you know, the student that is addicted to drugs or self-harm, I'm praying that in that moment they're miraculously set free. I mean, so these are the miracles we're praying for. It, it stems from need and hurt. Now, on a Sunday, when we share announcements and we, we point people to Wednesday, we tell them, hey, Wednesday, we're, we're actually going to we're in the middle of a series on teaching like today. Um, tonight will actually be the fourth week of the of the fourth letter um, of the seven letters uh, that were written in the book of Revelation. Uh, so that's where we're at as a church on our Wednesday night series, a series called Seven, Seven Letters to the Seven Churches. Um, but on Sundays right now, we're in a purpose. Uh, it's a little bit more broad and we're okay with explaining the language, uh, because it's all a part of discipleship and journey. When you think about the unchurched people that walk through your doors and you have a lot of them at your church, um, would you say there's a growing movement toward, you know, the charismatic side? Would you say it's been the same over the years or would you say it's getting harder in that respect? No, I mean, our church is, you know, since its inception, 32, be 33 years ago, like uh, Mother's Day, uh, has always been charismatic. Uh, so we, we have not really changed or evolved um, in that sense. We, we've stood true to, to who we've been the entire time. But I, I do know what you mean. I mean, we're seeing a lot, a lot of churches uh, embrace the charismatic side a little bit more. I, I think people are attracted to it. Again, I think it, it, it stems back to this idea of authenticity. So if, if I'm that passionate about it, I really have to believe it. And I think that's what people are curious to know. Like, do you really believe this too? Or, or are you just really, really good at sharing it? And that, that's what passion does a lot of times. And not to say that it hasn't been misused or abused because it has. However, I think that's what people are attracted to. They, they want to follow someone that is passionate about what they believe in. Mm-hmm. I mean, history shows us that. When you see, as we all do, um, people who are atheists, agnostic, uh, walking away, and everybody does, it, you know, in every church, in every tradition, in every style, doesn't matter how reformed well, or we how. We actually have two hundred percent retention rate. We've never had anyone ever. <laughs> <laughs> You're a cult and a prison, correct, Chris? Um, yeah, you know, we all have that. Why are you? Why do you think people walk away? What would you say? I mean, I've got my theories about why people walk away from our church, but I'm just curious what you would say. What are you seeing? I mean, I, I see a lot of times I, I think of offense, which really speaks to most of the time, you know, just miscommunication. But people didn't understand why something happened or didn't happen. I mean, you know, we, we had people in the, in the past few months leave just because of how heavy the, the political climate was or has been and is. And people don't understand why we're why we're not supporting someone from a pulpit. 
pulpit or why we're not bashing someone right. a pulpit. And we've, we've taken the stance that God is in control and we're just going to pray for our country. We're not going to pray for any specific man or any specific woman, uh, whoever becomes that person in that office. Well, when they do, I'm going to pray that God helps us as a nation and leads us. And, you know, for us, when you think of our current reality, uh, it's pretty difficult um, for the demographic we're dealing with. You know, we have oh, yeah. a whole lot of his and a whole lot of um, <laughs> multicultural people represented and they are offended and they're hurting. And sometimes they feel like, well, you didn't speak up enough for this movement or you didn't say anything to support these people. And it's a it's a tricky place. But the truth is, I'm just I, I want to stay in the middle. I just I want to I want to stay in the place of God. You're in control. I'm putting you first. I don't want to bash anyone that I'm not supposed to bash and I don't want to support anyone that I'm not supposed to support. Um, you know, we had, we had people leave our church, um, a few months ago because they felt like we didn't speak enough on black lives matter. Um, but the truth is, of course we feel like black lives matter. And I know it goes without say all lives matter, but in, the, in this moment in history, it actually seems like, uh, what black lives are dealing with in the moment. Um, they need the support and they need the encouragement actually, absolutely agree with that however when you think of uh three years ago when officer ramos was gunned down in in brooklyn um well he was one of my youth leaders and, and him and officer lou uh, who were on a saturday you know working in um in brooklyn and a man walks over to them and shoots them in the back of their heads uh well that man murdered them you know shouting black lives matter do i believe that that man represents the movement no i i don't however i have a family that's a part of our church um that was murdered and those words were shouted out so i'm gonna be a little bit more sensitive to it and and again it's a balancing act we're, we're a community we're a church with real people and real families that are affected by all these things well, you know, and I, I talk to a growing number of pastors who are trying to navigate that tension, and it's just hard. It's just hard. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that so much. Um, switching gears a little bit, you, um, what is different about working in your culture than, say, middle America? I know we covered a lot. I mean, you've got the most diverse place on the planet, perhaps. What are some other differences that you would see in an urban context or particularly a New York City context? Uh, I, I think that that you have people that are just trying to survive, um, mm -hmm. especially in this moment of time. You know, New York City is more expensive uh, than it's ever been. And not just Manhattan, but the five boroughs. You know, it used to only be Manhattan is the really expensive place to live and then other parts throughout the boroughs. Well, now, because of all the gentrification happening and it's happening as a result of it but you have you have these boroughs are so expensive to live in queens brooklyn the bronx staten island and it's literally pushing people out so the people that are still here um when you're talking to them about tithing and when you're talk talking to them about generosity it just means something so different to them and we have to be cautious because we're seeing two different groups in our congregation we're seeing the wealthy and we're seeing the poor and we have to make sure that we're, we're taking time to explain it to both because, you know, at the same time, you don't you don't want a poverty mindset, um, but you also don't want to seem like you're endorsing extravagant living. It's, I mean, it's all about stewardship and balance. Well, just out of curiosity, usually anywhere else other than New York City, you'd say three bedroom house. What does it run? But like three bedroom house is probably a 
just a dream right now for most people. But just that's to house a family where you're not, what's that? That's a multi-million dollar, you know, expense. I mean, if, if you want to rent right now a two-bedroom apartment um, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, which is a mile from my church, that's sixty-five hundred dollars. Sixty-five, fifty-five, sixty-five hundred. So six thousand five hundred dollars to rent three, a three-bedroom closet, by the way, um, with not utilities included. Um, you know, right across the street from our church, if you want to rent a two-bedroom. I mean, yeah, you're looking at $4,500. Uh, and again, this is like, this is average. This is norm. This is yeah, this isn't, this isn't luxury. So you're, you're dropping somewhere between 50 and 80 grand a year just to put yeah. a roof over your head for something moderate. Moderate. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I can see. And that's a very real pastoral reality. One of the other things that you've you've done, and we see this theme emerging more and more, is families working together. So you've worked with your parents for a number of years now. You're now the senior associate, moved out of exclusively youth and young adult world. Um, what are some of the dynamics of working together as family? We've had a number of guests, Whit and Willie George, Jonathan and Verna Del Turco, just to name a bunch of others uh, that have been on this podcast. But just for those who work with family... And I've got family involved in ministry too over the years too. What what is what are the dynamics like? I mean, it's it, it's fun, um, but it's also messy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very it's a very honest uh, uh, journey, very you know filled with very real tensions because you are family, uh, which a lot of times the conversations don't stop. You know, they're, they they continue on when you go home. Which, to be honest with you, I'm trying more and more uh, to make sure that. I stopped the ministry talk so that I could talk with my children about school, about education, about, you know, their interests. And it's easy to just, you know, overlook all that and just talk about church 24-7. Why? Because we're passionate about it. We're all leaders. We all have vision and we're all excited to build the kingdom. Um, you know, at the same time, it's, it's, it's also really fun. And when I say fun, I don't mean like I mean, in a, in, a, in a very honest sense, it's for me, honesty is my love language. So because those closest to me, being my family, work with me, they're able to be very honest with me, uh, which will stop me from making certain decisions or certain mistakes, which I'm not saying you don't have if you're not family, but because we are family and we are so close, it's fun in it. We get to make fun of one another. We get to laugh at one another, laugh with one another, and I mean, that's the joys of it. But there's also those times where we disagree. And, you know, my, my older brother, Jordan, uh, him and I will disagree. And then we have to figure, figure out how we're going to get around this thing. But I think we do a really good job at honoring one another, respecting one another's roles and making sure we play our part. So how do you get through that when you disagree? Honestly, yeah. um, but making sure, but, but making, you know, we're honest the entire time. Um, hey, you, you did this or you said that and I don't agree with that at all. You know, that that goes away from the game plan um, or the flow chart or the calendar that we had projected or the budget that we projected for the year. And I know you really want to do this, but I'm going to I'm going to veto that at this moment because we can't do that right now. Gotcha. And then it's just, yep, you're right. And it's just constantly talking about it when we're not dealing with the tension. I think that's what's so important. It's mm. not communicating through it when the tension comes, but it's like, look, these moments are going to happen. Let's be very honest about it. When they do, if I give you the signal, if I give you the sign, 
which we actually have in meetings, which is this. It's just the arm raise. If if I put up if I put up my arm, and I let you know that in this moment we're, we're dealing with some tension, let's just stop and let's revisit the conversation later. I have enough respect for them to do that, and they do for me. No, that's that's good advice. Now you're a young leader. What are some rhythms and patterns and habits that have kept you healthy over the years? I I, I definitely am big on keeping my my days off, my days off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it comes to travel, I get to travel quite a bit, but you know, my schedule is discussed constantly with my wife. Um, and even as of late, I mean, my children are a bit older now. I, I include them. I, my son is 10, my daughter is seven. Um, so my son will speak into it a little bit more where, you know, I, I came out with this book in June and I had decided not to really travel the beginning of the year. I said no to a whole lot of things. Um, but then we said, come June to the end of the year, you got to You got to travel with the book. So because we're given the opportunity, we're going to, we're going to take them and we're going to, we're going to travel quite a bit with it. And I try to take my family when I can. Um, but when I can't, we understand why, because God's given us this opportunity. And that's what we're going to do. But then we also made the decision that after this year, we'll still travel because we believe that's what we're called to do, but just not as much, right. which means we have to say no more. And again, it's just it's just healthy conversations. I mean, I, I try to on a Tuesday work nine to five. I try not to go over it. I try not to schedule evening meetings because I'm, you know, Sunday I'm in I could be in work from 7 a.m. and get out at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. because we have evening services at our right. Brooklyn campus. So that, that's going to happen on a Sunday, but a Monday I'm off. And then Tuesday I try to do nine to five. Wednesday I'm usually in 11 through after our prayer meeting. Thursday, work from home. Uh, and then Friday the same. So I, I try to respect that. I try to respect the schedule. And I know my family appreciates it. My wife appreciates it. I appreciate it. Early riser, night owl, which which are you? Um, as, especially as I get older, I'm definitely more of an earlier earlier riser, um, not a night owl. I wish I was, man. Some of my friends, they know how to go all night. I'm like 8 p.m., guys. I'm done. I know. Um, me so, too. I'm with you on that. Um, uh, but I actually enjoy it. Um, you know, I'd rather wake up early, go to the gym, do my devos, make breakfast for the family, bring the kids to school, get some time with my wife, go to work. I mean, that's those moments. I live for those moments. And so that's the first few hours of your day, up early, gym, devos. I, I should gym. I'm definitely not doing the gym as much as I'm doing the devos and the kid time, but I definitely yeah. want to be doing the gym more and more. I'm in a good rhythm this week, which typically <laughs> is what works. <laughs> it's like diet starts Monday, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. So next yeah. year. Chris, you mentioned it. You got a brand new book out, first one in a few years. You want to tell us about The Heist? Yeah, man, I'm excited about it. Uh, the, the Heist, how Grace robs us of our shame. It came out in July, and the book is just focused on the gospel, mm. and really takes us uh, through the journey of the story of the, of the prodigal son. I mean, we used a whole lot of creative license here, um, but the prodigal son shows up in each of the ten chapters of the book, as we're also uh, drawing a comparison to what a, a heist uh, actually looks like, um, and why the gospel is one of a heist. Um, and really, we, we know that we live in a world that is full of shame and full of guilt. In fact, I mean, uh, doctors are actually saying, psychology is saying now more than ever before that shame is the reason why there's as much suicide, divorce, uh, and depression. Because at this point in history, people are, 
are taking the ownership on themselves. So, you know, the whole, it's not you, it's me. Well, that's actually really true right now. People are saying it's my fault or I don't deserve this marriage. I don't deserve to live as, as long as I'm alive. It's, it's never going to get better. Or as long as I'm a part of this relationship, the relationship is never going to get good. Or I'm never going to be able to be a good parent. I mean, shame is literally killing people. But I think if we point people to the gospel and make them understand why it is that Jesus died, understand that grace robs you of that shame. Um, because although we should have been uh, held responsible for our sin, we know that Jesus died for us as our sin. You must see that issue a lot working with young people at your church, young adults at your church. How is shame manifesting itself day to day in the lives of the people in your church? Yeah, I mean, I, we definitely see it in youth. We definitely see it in young adults. I, you know, I actually see it a lot more in our marriages, and I'm really? seeing it in absent fathers or absent mothers. Um, yeah, where they're they're literally removing themselves from the home. They're removing themselves from the job. I mean, you have people that, you know, get promotions and don't want to accept the promotion because they feel like they don't deserve it. I mean, shame is literally crippling uh, people of all ages. And that was really my heart in wanting to write this book because now more than ever, you know, shame, shame has a platform in people's lives like never before. I mean, so that was in hopes the antidote. I mean, somebody, some often people ask me about this book and they said, well, why'd you write this grace book? And it's definitely a, a book full of grace. But it really, for me, I, I wrote it because of shame. It's really more of a shame book and dealing with the shame that, that people are dealing with uh, unnecessarily. How would shame cause a father to walk out of the house? Tell me about that. Yeah, because because of the shame of either their past, either the shame of of current addictions or mistakes that they've made, they feel like I'm not going to be a good example for my child. I'm never going to be a good example for them. So the best thing I could do for my child is remove myself from their life. Just that inability to deal with the weight of their past and the weight of their present pushes them out sure. of the room. Yeah, I mean, and, and really, I mean, if, you know, if you have a sense, like, you know, you or I, we would just say, well, let, let's fix the problem, get help right. from the addiction. Or, but it, for, for a lot of people, it's just not as easy as that because what it is is they feel, they feel completely disqualified. They feel because they've already made certain mistakes and decisions, there is no turning back. And it's, believe it or not, it's happening in a lot of churches, it's happening amongst a lot of Christians, which really speaks to um, a faulty theology and understanding of the gospel, uh, because we believe anybody can change. We believe that anyone can be saved. We believe that, that God's transformative power can work through in anybody. And yet it's amazing because people will believe that's true for everybody else but Funny. themselves. And I mean, that that was that is why I wrote this book and, you know, to help us in our you know, just restricted and finite thinking of when it comes to God. Because the truth of the matter is, I, I do believe that the grace of God is so broad, is so big, is so vast, that not one man or one woman can fully explain or understand the grace of God. I don't believe anyone could ever write that book uh, outside of Jesus. However, I do believe the grace of God can be fully received. And that's my hope, hmm. that even if you fully understand it, you can fully receive it and receive what it is that God wants to do in you and through you. Chris, people are going to want to get the book. They're going to want to find you. Where can we find those online? Uh, man, Amazon.com, uh, theheistbook.com. Uh, it's available for Kindle. It's available for iTunes, uh, barnesandnoble.com. 
wherever books are sold, it's sold there. Okay, great. Well, um, Chris, thank you so much for being with us today. I so appreciate it. I appreciate you, Kerry. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. I mean, hats off to Chris and all the other cultural pioneers who are going into places that like people just don't go. That's why I love my conversations earlier on this in earlier shows of this podcast with like Joseph Barkley in Hollywood and Erwin McManus in L.A. and others who are just going places where, frankly, the church doesn't thrive. And I think that is incredible. If you want more, just go to the show notes. You can go to Lead Like Never Before and just search Chris Durso or you can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 166. But of course, you know, you've all memorized how to spell my name. I, I get that. I get that. Hey, um, by the way, if you haven't subscribed, uh, you know, my little secret is I actually only listen to the podcasts I've subscribed to because um, when it's time to listen to a podcast, I just kind of go through and it's like, oh, yeah, I haven't caught up with, you know, Craig Rochelle. Let's do that right now. So um, if you haven't subscribed, you can do that. It's for free wherever you get your podcast. And then if this has meant something to you or previous episodes have, uh, just share. And also, subscribing opens you to a vault of leaders, including like, well, who have we had recently? Henry Cloud, Carlos Whitaker, Erwin McManus, Mark Batterson. We got John Ortberg coming up. I'm going to kick off the new year with Craig Grishel. Uh Kara Powell's been on recently. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And we're 166 episodes in, and it's free for you and your team. So share that, subscribe. And then uh, next week, speaking of next week, we're back with a guy I met a couple of years ago who is killing it in Vermont of all places. And his name is Chris Gepner, fantastic guy and uh, just leader of a local church who's making a real difference. And here's an excerpt from next week. You know, getting in a war, we just, we're here to love our community and build, make friends. And she just looked at me, she said, I'll just be honest with you. I don't think we need another church in this area. We don't really? need no churches. Yeah, and um, she said, I'm an atheist, and I don't understand this. I don't really know why you have to be here, and I'm just going to make sure that you know that. You're going to learn a lot from Chris. I know I have and really, really love just celebrating local church stories that have gone well. And so if you're a leader uh, trying to make a difference in your community, you're, you're going to love it. So literally from New York to Vermont. Uh, that's what I love about this show. You can go all over the place. And so uh, listen, we're back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. Remember, if you haven't yet visited uh, myleadershippipeline.com, please do so today and use Lead Like Never Before as your discount coupon. And then join us in California as we talk about how to develop a leadership pipeline in February. That's myleadershippipeline.com. Back next week with a fresh episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.